Welcome to Between the Lines, Conversations to Ignite Social Change. What does it mean to be on the leading edge of change? How does wellness and spirituality intersect with the current emergent moment? How do we pull from authentic sources of ancient wisdom and apply them to modern times with integrity and courage? Join Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health CEO, Robert Mulhall, and other Kripalu visionaries as they engage in one-to-one conversations about the growing edges of yoga and wellness. Together, we will illuminate the way that wellness can be inclusive of liberation, care, and belonging for all. My name is Jessica Dervaj, a producer for the series. In today's conversation, we welcome Jacoby Ballard, a social justice educator and yoga teacher who leads workshops and trainings around the country around diversity, equity, and inclusion. As a yoga teacher with 20 years of experience, he leads workshops, retreats, teacher trainings, teaches at conferences, and runs the Resonance Mentorship and has led programs right here at Kripalu, both online and in person. We gather here virtually with our campus located in the Berkshire Hills of Massachusetts on the unceded territory of the Stockbridge-Munsee Band of Mohicans. We invite you to learn about what land you are on and its indigenous inhabitants. Today, Kripalu stewards these lands as a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to empowering people and communities to realize their full potential through the transformative wisdom and practice of yoga. Our Between the Lines series has been made possible because of the generous gifts of our donors. So we thank them, and we thank all of you for your presence with us today. Welcome, everyone, to Between the Lines. So we're gonna have a we're gonna have a chat, as they say, where I come from. Um, a good conversation and uh, and maybe at some point we'll be able to bring in everybody else into that conversation in some creative way as well um, so uh, and I'll just let everybody know that the uh, the Celtic god of thunder is with me on these lands uh, Tyrannus is here so we're gonna hope that Tyrannus sort of plays ball and doesn't make too much noise or do anything to my Wi-Fi um, but just so you, in case you're wondering what uh, loud thundering is happening outside. It's it's all his fault. Uh, so Jacoby, uh, tell us tell us about what's lighting you up these days. Mm. I mean, I feel like in potent political times, and I've really felt this since 2016 after the election here in the United States. Um, just being able to use the practices to meet the political moment. Um, You know, there's such ancient wisdom and tried and true methods and practices of yoga. And I'm also a a Buddhist practitioner and teacher. Uh, There's such timeless teachings, you know, and um, have guided humans across time to meet the moment, compassion or truthfulness or determination or, or what have you. And um, I just feel really equipped to to meet the the political moment. Um, I do a lot of work with queer and trans communities. I'm about to lead a queer and trans retreat here in Utah this weekend. And um, it's such a it's such an honor. I've been doing this for years. I've been doing this since 2006 to teach queer and trans yoga. And um, 
those years of experience have like really prepared me for this like political moment in the United States where our communities are, you know, being targeted and um, in so many different ways and so many different locations. Um, and so um, using the teachings to remind us of the magic that we have that can't be taken away, that can't be legislated away. Yeah. And tell us, like, bring us into the into the room with you when you're leading a retreat. What does it look and feel like? Mm. Well, I try to, you know, open it with creating a sense of belonging mm -hmm. and um, and welcoming, and you know, welcoming the wholeness of everyone's experience, um, whether there's like different body sizes or disability or folks of different racial or religious backgrounds. Um, and to name it, like what's what's seen and witnessed in the room and then also invite others to name it, what, what can't be seen at, and witnessed so that we know what is in the room and kind of what some of the stakes are and what some of the wounds are that we can push up against, you know? Um, and, and then just, you know, kindness is such an important tool in disarming any um, protectiveness or, you know, coping mechanisms that various folks have, have learned over the years to keep ourselves alive. Mm -hmm. um, so to invite folks, you know, layer by layer into vulnerability, um, because the, those, the depth of vulnerability is the depth of healing that we can mm -hmm. find together. Yeah. And then to, you know, invite the whole group to like, move with anyone's sharing in that way to be responsive and um, present with one another, whether there's like incredible joy and delight um, or whether there's depths of sorrow. Yeah. yeah, beautiful. Thank you. You mentioned belonging. Um, tell us a bit more about that. What does that, what does that mean to you? So many people use that word in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, being a trans person, being a queer person, being someone involved in racial justice work for a couple of decades, you know, I it's it's immense work to create belonging. It's not inherent because systems of oppression um, declare that some bodies belong and others do not. Um, they're necessarily systems of exclusion, right? And so creating radical belonging is about interrupting those systems. Whether we, you know, name that we're doing that in a political way or whether there's, we're kind of like a Trojan horse in the room doing that work, but it's not named explicitly. Mm -hmm. um, and also knowing that like, we've all internalized these systems of oppression, right? We all have internalized misogyny and transphobia, internalized racism and white supremacy, internalized ableism. And so we're going to unconsciously collude with them. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need partnership in interrupting them together. So, so belonging is this like dynamic emergent process. Um, and, you know, even as we endeavor to create a brave space, and that's one of the things that was put in the chat as one of the mm -hmm. commitments at Kripalu, right? Um, we can't prevent any, you know, conflict or hardship from arising. And I used to think that in my social justice work that we could, and if misogyny didn't arise, if racism didn't arise, then I was doing a good job. Um, and if it did, that I failed. But actually, it's a process of 
anticipating that that's bound to arise. It's in those systems are in any room that we're in, um, whether they're kind of like other under the surface or very explicit. Um, and so um, invoking, you know, practices of determination and pra and patience and um, a passion to create a different world for ourselves and future generations, you know, knowing many of us at the retreat at um, Kripala that I did last month, you know, I asked in the room, who here has felt like they don't belong within our own queer community and everyone there raised their hand. And that's important to acknowledge too in creating belonging is we we know what it doesn't feel like. <laughs> and so then that can help us live in like we don't we know what not to do. And so there's a practice of refraining, right? Of divesting. Um, whether that's like idle chatter or gossip or judgment, imagining that we could judge each other into better behavior or better words. Um, and then there's also practices that yoga gives us to invest in like loving kindness and forgiveness and, and compassion. And, um, you know, there's this kind of gentle process of like naming something that arises and being willing to be with it vulnerably with one another in different lived and shared um, experiences uh, without being attached to a certain outcome or a, you know, some of us have been socialized to create harmony, <laughs> um, sometimes at the cost of ourselves or others. And some of us have been socialized to be a disruptor. Um, and so there's there's working with those different dynamics to, to, to keep thinking about like, how do I want this space to feel? And to like, keeping, keeping that in mind, then how does that, how can I adjust my, my, body language, my tone, my words, my actions accordingly. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I'm curious to know what in your study and work you've uncovered that you felt maybe has been um, uh, hidden in the way that, you know, I grew up in Ireland and um, you're raised with a version of the Bible. Um, but my father was a, was a renegade in, in lots of ways. And, uh, the thing that he was always encouraging me to look at was the gospel of Thomas as one example, um, which was like not allowed technically and, uh, but spoke in a very different way about, um, a path of liberation in the sort of mystical Christian way. Have you noticed in, in this work for yourself that when you go back and study Buddhism and yoga, et cetera, that you're actually seeing how much of the work that you're doing now was inherently present already in the culture and in the systems or, and that things were sort of hidden or glossed over or um, suppressed from those ancient traditions. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, are, are you talking about how, how the practices have been I mean, kind of like your your dad uncovering um, the gospel of of Thomas, like what is obscured, what is lost in order to serve the um, yeah, the what's been quo? yeah, exactly. what's been mainstreamed, and you're like, oh, well, there's all this stuff over here that is actually kind of speaking to like um 
something speaking to belonging in a very mm -hmm. different way. Yeah, I think I think it's so interesting how how yoga has intersected with white supremacy and and um, capitalism. Um, and one thing that I've seen and been really frustrated by is the um, the focus on asana and like physical prowess that like prioritizes some bodies and and excludes others and you know such that so many of us have had to do so much work on what is a yoga body and that that's like that's everybody right as matthew sanford a disabled yogi has said like if you can breathe you can do yoga like um and it's not about the perfect shape it's about perfect awareness in the shape you're in but a lot of us you know and i see this fellow queer and trans colleagues, BIPOC colleagues, disabled colleagues, like we have to do work with our own communities to portray to them that like yoga is for you too. And then I think, you know, part of what's lost that's convenient to white supremacy and capitalism is the ethical practices, right? Like the yamas are the first practice of yoga, the ethical, like that the ancient yogis are like, if the, the first thing you got to do is not create, create harm and live in integrity and be generous rather than taking things and use your sexual energy wisely and, and not covet, let go. And um, it's so interesting that in so many yoga studios, those, you know, I want to make sure as a yoga teacher that my students are very familiar with the yamas. It's like, oh yeah, we're doing the yamas again. <laughs> but because they're they're so imp the ethical practices of any spiritual tradition i think are are so important in keeping us accountable and really creating the conditions such that the spiritual work can dive deeper it's like creating a container for the for the work to land in a more expansive way um and so yeah those that's one of the main things that i see that's that's lost that's so important to uncover and it also it can create such trust in doing social justice work, right? That like, if I know that you're committed to truthfulness and I'm also committed to truthfulness, then I can share my truth courageously with you and receive yours. And it doesn't mean that like they're going to agree, but Angel Kyoto Williams says the opposite of a profound truth is another profound truth. <laughs> they, they can coexist. And if we're both devoted to truthfulness, then it creates a certain kind of relationship and, and depth yeah. um, that's so important. Yeah, wonderful. The um, when you're talking, you're talking about this work that you you help um, sort of guide people through. Um, what's your prayer for the people that you work with? Mm. I think re resilience. You know, to and to to be in touch with the light inside of us that can't can't be messed with. That's that's what what brought me into meditation to begin with when I was in high school. Is I had gone through by the time I encountered meditation, I was in the sixth year of bullying, mm -hmm. and um, in a small town in a small school in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and. Um, you know, if I hadn't encountered meditation that allowed me to go inside and find a peace within that was there regardless of the chaos around me, I don't know if I would have been here, if I would still be here, you know? I, I, 
meditation and yoga have saved my life again and again. And, um, and I've seen, seen it save the lives of other folks, especially folks that are targeted, you know, when like every day something's coming at them, whether it's, it's white supremacy or transphobia. Um, and, um, to just have this, this inner peacefulness, this inner calm to interface with whatever is coming at you, um, that allows you to interact with that so much more skillfully from a place of being grounded rather than reactive, um, which is going to allow it to go, you know, better possibilities. It doesn't mean that harm's not going to happen, that suffering isn't, is no longer inevitable if we're skilled, but, um, we have tools to, to make connection and create repair um, rather than allow the rupture to get larger and larger and larger. I'm wondering, would you be willing, this is, I didn't ask you to do this beforehand, but would you be willing to lead us in a short practice of connecting with that light you just spoke to now? Sure, yeah. yeah. So I invite you to put your hand on your heart for anyone present. Drawing attention inward. And becoming aware of the boundary of your skin, or perhaps there's an aura that ex expands a little bit beyond your skin. So the sense of what is you and what is not you. And take a moment to do a little bit of weeding. What is, what is not you? What are the limiting beliefs? What are the systems of oppression that have come into your being that you might pluck right now? Any stories about who you are that are frankly lies, that are projections, that are judgments? And you might imagine the flame of a candle and just the, the purity of that flame. That, that flame is like your pilot light. It never goes out. Considering the color of it today. And you might imagine a, a storm comes through and maybe blows a bit or rains a bit, but seeing that pilot light still lit. Or perhaps the ground on which the, the light is lit or is shaky, but the light continues nevertheless. And then you might just repeat to yourself, I am made of this light. I am light. I am this magic. Even if it feels corny or cheesy, inviting yourself to try it on, to fake it till you make it, as my teacher Joy Davy says. 
dare you to believe in your own magic. Let's see what happens if you do. Take a deep breath in and a breath out. Now take another deep breath in and imagine as you do so, you're kind of creating a seal around that light. And then as you exhale, allowing that seal to be somewhat permeable, adaptable, responsive to the world, but also protective. And then see if you can start to slowly open your eyes, still aware of the light within, the magic within, the sparkle within. And taking in your space again, but trying to not lose sight of that. Thank you. How did that feel for you, Robert? Um, soft, kind, true, um, and like, uh, like the roots went deeper. Beautiful. It's good medicine. Yeah. Yeah, and so important to remember when the world can be throwing all kinds of judgments at us, all kinds of you don't belong, yeah. you're not wanted, you're not deserving, something's wrong with you, you're not enough. Just yeah. inherently not true. Yeah. And sometimes what we can do with that, you know, is want to prove our enoughness or claim space or take space or you know, take what's not ours or buy our happiness. And I think that's also part of the liberation I found in the practices is like, I don't need anything outside myself to be well, to be happy. And there's such a freedom in that, you know, and, and I've seen it with various students that I've taught, whether they're in a maximum security prison or whether they're in a corporate office, if they're, you know, a nurse in a hospital or, um, a kindergartner in a, in a public school um, to be able to find that in different life circumstances is so important. Yeah, yeah there's power in that. And maybe as we continue to thread the conversation, um, I know we're, we'll open it up to some Q&A in a few moments, but um, what's your what's your ask of folks that are um, people like me who are, um, you know, I'm a cisgendered white, in a white male body, um, uh, straight identifying, etc. Like, what's your ask for uh, folks that are in um, in that proximity to power and privilege? Mm. Um, I think to dig, to dig deeply into, into yourself and into your history and ancestral history and getting curious about how things came to be the way they are. 
to grant you that position of power? Like, how is that? And to use some of these practices to courageously encounter the truths about how that came to be, as well as the lies. Um, to examine, you know, the patterns of liberation that are within your lineage, such as, you know, you naming your dad and his practices. And then also to examine the patterns of oppression that have lived through, through our lineages and um, really being, you know, using the awareness that we work to cultivate every time we're on the cushion or on the mat to, um, to know deeply where we're investing or divesting our energy. Um, and then also getting curious about our relationships, right? About like how we're show, showing up in the relationships that we have, right? Are we reenacting systems of oppression, right? It's like really, it can be really easy for someone in a body like yours to, to reenact misogyny, say, right? And so it takes a deep layer of investigation um, and reprogramming to do otherwise because the world has set you up um, to perpetuate the system, the status quo, right? Um, and so that can either be supported in the relationships that we have or troubled in the relationships that we have. And it it's, can be so important to have relationships across difference, you know, people of different races, different religious backgrounds, different gender histories, different, different um, disabilities, and able-bodiedness as a reflection for what are you missing? What are you not seeing? And also what are the privileges that you've been granted that were intended for just your soul betterment that you can actually repurpose and use for the you know, improvement of all of us. Yeah. Leveraging, you know, privilege is not inherently a harmful thing, but we can use it for, um, reinforcing systems of oppression or we can use it for interrupting systems of oppression and sharing power and uh you know uh reinvesting in different communities and uh structures that have been divested from um so yeah looking into your history looking at your relationships and for those of us that hold a lot of privilege to step into discomfort willingly, intentionally, again and again, so that others can step out of pain. I know Jacoby loves to engage with the, the whole community when that's possible. And maybe this is a good moment to open it up to all the wonderful folks that are with us. Um, uh, it's an option to raise your hand if you want to come off mute and speak into the space. And then obviously we always have the chat function if that's more accessible to you. To raise a question to Jacoby. Um, and uh, just see what comes up in our sort of generative dialogue for the next 10, 15 minutes. And if there's just silence, I've got a hundred questions for you, Jacoby. We could talk for hours.
Hi. Um, if it's okay, Robert, can I direct a question towards you? Yeah. And Jacoby can jump in however they, they wish, but I, I'm trying to think of how to say this with, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. So I'm wondering at how Kripalu as a historically and predominantly white, cis, het, able-bodied, thin-bodied, run place. Um, <clears throat> and I know that y'all are, are in the midst of shifts and, and doing deep work, but I'm, you know, as, as we know, this country is in, uh, trans people are under attack in this country in a way that we've um, never seen historically. And I'm wondering how Kripalu is committed to meeting this moment and time. Um, yeah, and I know that's a big question um, that m probably has many different answers, and I don't really know how to make it more succinct. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just wondering how Kripalu as a large organization that has a lot of power and privilege, which means I think a lot of responsibility and also, um, like Jacoby said, like a lot of uh, exciting opportunities to help steer change, especially being such a big voice in the wellness community. Um, so yeah, I'm just wondering what all you, you, what you all are committed to at this, at this time and in, in our, in our culture and this reckoning. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, it is a big question. Uh, and I'm Irish, so the tendency will be me to now talk for the next two hours. I'm going to try to do this in like, I'm going to watch the clock on the side of my laptop and try to do this in a couple of minutes. Um, so, uh, during the pandemic, uh, the organization made a, a decision around its purpose to expand its purpose to not just be about individual transformation, but I would say to mature its understanding of what yoga really is, which is about individual and collective transformation together and um, holding a vision for a world that's united in service towards justice, peace, and well-being, not just well-being, which have really sort of been historically been our focus. And so like, that sounds great. That's nice to put on a website, but what does that actually look like in real life? And um, we've been on a really messy journey as an organization, and we are very much still in a messy place as an organization as we do this work of centering equity in our own internal culture and doing the work of trying to, um, uh, I'll say, wake up our community, our, our beautiful community that have been with us for many, many years uh, to these conversations that we have not hosted um, in any great way over our 50-year history. And so while the organization had done some work and had been committed to uh, serving some folks who um, had not always been served by society um, through sort of scholarships and some, some specific programming, um, we effectively were starting from not even like a standing start, but a sort of a lying down start, um, even though there had been some good efforts along the way. And uh, we've um, we've sort of carved out certain things that we really wanted to um, step into immediately. One of those was, as I said, around really taking on our own internal culture and looking at how do we center equity in our culture. And we've done that 
um, over the last number of years with um, our partners, uh, Kerry Kelly and Michelle Johnson in particular, around helping us shift our internal culture around that work. And there's still so much more work to happen around that. Um, but that's work that's been happening at the board level, at the leadership team level, and the whole staff body. Um, and there's I, there's a lot more that that's now rippling out in, into in the, in the organization. Um, we also uh, said that we didn't want to be an organization that just started to pay attention to like racial diversity in our community, which is what a lot of people seem to be doing after the as a reaction to the murder of George Floyd. They were saying, well, let's become a more racially diverse, diverse organization. We said we needed to become an equity centered organization um, in the best way that we could um, and then start to look at inclusion. And then from that, we would hope that more diversity would naturally start to emerge and happen in our community. And so some of the things that we have done um, to support that is by bringing in teachers that have never we have never given a platform to and really the sort of wellness industry has not given a platform to and we said look if we're the biggest retreat center in north america and we're the kind of place where people look to us to see what we're doing and then they, they will sort of follow our lead and copy us as what the sort of industry standard is in in many cases we said let's be copied for some really beautiful work in the world and so we've been trying to do that with this and um, with the folks like jacoby and all the others that we're bringing into the mix and um, to elevate their voices using our platform so that many, many more people can hear the medicine like we're hearing tonight um, of their teaching. Um, and also to be disrupting um, some of the sort of uh, the thinking that has been very long held in uh, retreat center communities around what, um, what yoga or meditation or spiritual liberation is about. Um, and uh, so there's a deep commitment to the work in the organization, and um, we've made some good strides, and there's just so much more that we need to do as an organization. Uh, the uh, What we're committed to doing is to make sure that it happens all the time and, and that every year we're continuing to sort of invest in this work in the organization is making sure, and the board has is actually holding us accountable to this is making sure that in our budget every, every every year we create a budget cycle that we are earmarking money that is specifically dedicated to this uh, work of creating um, what we call an intergenerational diverse community of belonging for anybody who wants to engage with Carpalo on their path of liberation. Um, and the thing that really um, is very hard to say, but I have to, I, I find myself saying it a lot is that um, it's going to, it's going, it is taking time and it's going to take time. Uh, and it's really hard to say that because I'm not the one that, um, I'm not the one that's being directly harmed by what's happening in our society. Um, I'm being indirectly harmed by what's happening in our society because I live in a sick society. So I'm swimming in sick waters. And I'm not being directly, um, my life is not under direct threat by what is happening in our society. And uh, we're moving with a deep commitment as fast as we can. Um, and it's um, every day it feels like not enough and not fast enough for what's happening in our world to trans folks, to uh, BIPOC folks, 
um, to uh, immigrants, to um, people that are experiencing violence um, in the United States and all over the world. That is a longer than two minutes answer. And as you can tell, I could keep talking and it probably feels insufficient um, because in many ways it is not just because of the shortness of time and because it's the work is not in any way done. Um, and it hurts um, to know that people that come to Kripalu um, are harmed, um, whether they engage with us online or in person. And um, yeah, there's just a commitment. And thank you for your question. And thank you for being here. And for anybody that's sort of being brave with us and to go on this journey and just a deep bow of appreciation that you're willing to be in the, the messiness with us so that we can come through to another place as an organization in as quick as time as possible. And I thank you to Jacoby for your willingness to do that with us and, and many other beautiful teachers that have come in. Yeah, we said uh, just a note in there. Swami Kripalu, um, Swami Kripalu's whole life was dedicated to two things, um, and his path was born. His path was found out of um, deep suffering. He was uh, suicidal, um, and his and that night he found his path, and um, he uh, he dedicated his whole life to service to human to serving humanity. And to practicing, and most of his practice, certainly for the for the um, for the beginning, was the yamas and the yamas, and one sitting practice, one sitting posture, and one one pranayama, and that was that was the vast majority of his life of yoga. And then things woke up spontaneously for him, and he became a a more sort of um, adept practitioner. Want to bring it back uh, to anybody else that wants to speak, ask a question. Toby. I'm gonna, uh, we're in the last few moments. Um, it doesn't look like there's another question coming through. Uh, I'm wondering if you could sort of do the deadpan into the camera um, for everybody that's looking in and uh, maybe just offer some guidance, some med medicine for folks in these uh, incredibly uncertain and trying times. Oh, that's a big invitation. <laughs> um, I think it's so important for us all to find moments to pause um, in conversations like this where a lot can be stirred up. Um, 
and to try to connect with one another as well. So I guess the first thing I want to invite folks to do is to look at who's here with you, to look at the other squares. And maybe notice who you find affinity with and who you maybe find some, for whatever reason, a little bit of movement away. And I want to invite you to get curious about that here and also as a practice out in the world, right? At the grocery store, at the post office, um, those places of inherent connection are so important to resource us, right? To, to have like a home base. And then also those places of where there can be a disconnect or a disharmony are so important to grow new skills and to stretch. And um, it's so important to have the, the, the practice of mindfulness of the awareness of like when we lean in and when we lean away, when we contract and when we open right, the embodied practice, the body doesn't lie in that. Um, and I, I take a lot of guidance from Resma Menachem's book. Um, if you haven't read My Grandmother's Hands or if you haven't done the practices in My Grandmother's Hands, especially with a group of people, they're so important um, Being for, for folks that hold any kind of privileged identity, you know, he's writing around racialized identities, but I think it goes across the board to, to notice when, when you go into a state of feeling threatened just by the presence, say of a trans person, of a black person, of a Muslim person, um, and notice what your body's doing. The great thing about neurobiology, right, is that we can retrain the nervous system, we can retrain the body, and if I can do that for my body, then I can teach my kid to do that with their body and they can teach their kids and they can expand and their classmates and it can expand outwards so that we're learning collectively how to create regulation within our nervous systems and then co-regulation within communities such that when a black teenager knocks at my door, he's incredibly safe to do so, right? Such that when I'm in a restroom and someone whose gender I can't identify is there. I know that they belong. There's nothing about their presence there, my presence there that's, that's out of harmony. Um, so this, this, the importance of noticing the body and then the ability to reprogram the nervous system through neuroplasticity and that, that practice of investing in what is fruitful, what is wholesome, what creates connection what creates the future you want to live into and then divesting from like practices of greed, practices of threat, practices of, um, you know, putting up walls, living in a gated community, uh, any of the ways that we put up walls, right? And, and to get curious about leaning in rather than leaning away. Thank you all so much for being in this with us, for doing your part in the work in the world. Um, and I'd love to hear from you beyond this through social media, through my website. Um, feel free to come to my classes and teach online and in person these days. So love to see you. Take good care. Thank you, Jacoby. So, so perfect and uh, wonderful to be with you. And uh, I know that I think there's going to be some links 
dropped into the chat if people want to find out more about Jacoby's amazing work and um, the rest of the series and uh, any upcoming programs that Jacoby has at Carpalo and elsewhere. Thank you all for being with us. Take good care of yourselves. Tend to your hearts. Thank you for being here with us for this episode of Between the Lines, Conversations to Ignite Social Change. Kurpalu is a 501c3 nonprofit educational organization dedicated to empowering people and communities to realize their full potential through the transformative wisdom and practice of yoga. Learn more about Kurpalu at www.kurpalu.org. This episode has been produced by Jessica Dervage. Ava Taylor, Miles Newton, Christiana Sullivan, Sarah Ortega, Robert Mulhall. And the music today is Forest Lullaby by Less FM. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of Between the Lines.